also want to turn for our scripture for today. We're continuing with our, our psalm series, and today we're reading Psalm 30. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Thanks be to God. So I kind of actually love that we sang uh, the communion song as our song right before the message. No, don't apologize, because here's why. I feel like what has already taken place in here this morning, uh, the Holy Spirit's just preaching the sermon for us. So thank you to uh, Pete and Gwen Stevens for preparing our table uh, this morning. We will have the opportunity to receive uh, communion in response to God's goodness and, and in response to the Word. And uh, when they showed up this morning, they, I said, hey, I think we could probably just do two stations. Um, it's Fourth of July weekend, and we've, we've kind of had, you know, light crowds. Um, well, God was like, nope, um, we're not going to do that because I'm, I'm just going to bring people. Uh, and, and so we now will have three stations uh, for communion. Um, we had intended to, to do New Wine as our communion song, and, and I, I don't know, I just texted Barrett and Sarah and said, hey, so now during communion you can just do instrumental or whatever at this point, like however the Holy Spirit leads you. Um, so, so there's that. But I love the line in that song. I, I, yield, I yield myself in, like into your perfect hand. When I trust you, I don't, I don't need to understand. And, you know, we, we, can, we can show up to church, we can open the Word, we can gather together in a community group. We just had one of our community groups uh, share for gathering on the lawn. We can do those things thinking that we know how that time is going to go, and we can even plan a time of worship thinking that we know from start to finish, from 1055 until we wrap up, how that time is going to go. Uh, but the Holy Spirit always, 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 and this is our prayer, always has license to show up and say, no, we're going to actually do things a little different. And because I want you to just trust me. 
I want you to trust that I'm at work, and I want you to trust that I'm present and moving. And friends, that, is our, that has been our hope and our prayer since day one of, of this service. And it's been, honestly, it, it's, it's been the, the cry and the call of this church um, for nearly 160 years now. Um, you don't get to be 160 years old without the Holy Spirit being present and at work and without the Holy Spirit showing up and, and redirecting um, in ways that we, we didn't expect. So I am, I am so grateful to be um, a part of this community and, and grateful to, um, to Jacob and grateful to our, our children for leading, up, leading us. It's one of the things that we value as a church, next generation now. We don't have to wait for them to grow up before they um, will lead us. If we pay attention, we see that kids are leading us um, now. And, and so I just love that we um, we're a church who, who values that and who, who is able to do that. And um, Jacob, just thankful for you. And, and what a great uh, lesson for you. I, I, Jacob was up here leading prayer time, and I just left the room um, because I went to, to go check and see, you know, if our kids were finishing up at the 11 o'clock service in the sanctuary. So um, great training for ministry, man. Sometimes you're just out there on a limb by yourself with no safety net. Uh, so uh, thank you uh, for that. This morning, um, this is... I love when we have the opportunity to be um, in a place in Scripture that is a, a Scripture that might be familiar to us because it's one that, that, you, that we use as, as our benediction from time to time. Like we, and there are a number of, you know, if, if you've been with us for uh, any length of time, then you know that uh, when, I, when I give a benediction, I really, I don't, I don't plan it ahead of time. I just, Holy Spirit, how do you, where in your word do you, do you want to send, like, how do you want to send us out? What do you want to leave us with? And so um, that, that is often why you'll hear Scripture read as the benediction. Well, Psalm uh, 30 is one that we've read before, and I'm excited to um, get to, to spend a little bit of time in it this morning. And um, Psalm 30, again, is a, is a psalm of thanksgiving, a thanksgiving psalm. And we looked at a thanksgiving psalm last week, Psalm 138. And, and, and so, you know, we, we could say, well, all right, Collins, if like our intention is to be in the Psalms, why are we not doing a song of, psalm of lament or a different type of, of psalm? But there's something that's unique about Psalm 30 compared to Psalm 138. Psalm 138, we, one of the things that we talked about last week was how the witness of one can affect the worship of, of many or the worship of all. It was really based on what David had experienced in God's goodness um, was, was David's invitation to, to the body, to the people of God to say, hey, join me. Look what God has done. God is worthy of our praise. David does that here, but there's something else that happens in this psalm that, that I feel like is such a gift to us. If we are considering the psalms as, as instruction, as direction, as a roadmap for the way that we are called to pray as the people of God, the way that we are invited to pray as the people of God, for for generations, the Psalms were like, this was the prayer book of God's people. This directed their prayers. This taught them how to pray, how to worship. These were, these were the, this was the prayer book of Jesus, the Psalms. So we have such a gift in the Psalms, and I think many of us don't take advantage of that, which is why we wanted to spend a length of time in the Psalms this summer. I, we have a, a stack of prayer books back there, a stack of psalm uh, booklets back there, and, and we do because it means that you haven't taken one with you. Um, and we'd love for you to take one with you. And it's not just for you to have another thing, it's, it's the size that would fit in your, in your Bible, and you know, there's, there's the psalm that we're going to do each week, and then some questions. What if you showed up this morning, and maybe some of you have already, but what if you showed up this morning having spent the last week in Psalm 30? 
that means that God's already spoken to you in this psalm. That means God has already done some work in your heart, and the Holy Spirit has already given you some things that you, you could stand up here and share, hey, here's what God has, has revealed to me in this psalm. So, you know, one of the things, the reason that we, we are in the same series here as we are in our other two um, sanctuary services and oftentimes at, at Blackburn's Chapel, our campus out in Todd, is that we believe there's a gift in being together in God's Word and, and trying to order our lives and order who we are as a church under the Word of God and, and to do that uh, as, as the, the family that is uh, Boone United Methodist Church. So I just want to lay that charge before you. Don't feel like, you know, you're like, well, I'm, I'm this far in now. What's the point? Like, I'm already behind. You're not behind when it comes to reading God's Word. You are. You will pick it up right where you need to be, right where God intends for you to be. And, it, and if you just feel like, I, it's a little overwhelming, well, we've given you a great tool, a great place to start, to just spend some time in the Psalms um, this summer. So I, I want us to consider something um, before we jump into this, uh, this song. And that is uh, just a simple thought. The destination is not always the goal. The destination is not always the goal. And, you know, it's summer in the high country, right? We are, we are blessed to be able to call this place home. If you're visiting, welcome. Uh, we, we, we are glad to have you and hope that you are able to enjoy this place in the way that many of us um, do. And, and for many of us, it's part of why we, we call this place home. It's why people leave and come back. There was, you know, we had a, a street festival um, a, a few weeks ago called um, Boonerang. And, and that comes, the idea is that if you have spent any significant amount of time in Boone and you leave, then you're going to want to, you, you are going to just feel this draw back to it. Um, and, and I just was like, I, I don't have the time or energy to do that, so I'm just going to stay. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't boonerang. I just planted myself here by way of Appalachian, and, and this is where I am. So, uh, but I'm so grateful for the, the outdoors. Uh, I tell people all the time, I, I crammed four years of school into five, and the reason that I did that um, was because after my first year, I, I, lo- I figured out what a playground this place is. Um, I, I began to schedule classes so I could be done at, you know, 12 or 1, and, and then, like, spent my afternoons in the woods, and I took up climbing and fly fishing and ultimate frisbee and, and all of the things that class would have gotten in the way of. And so I scheduled class early and was able to do those things and, you know, snowboarded in the winter, and it was glorious. And I'm not saying that's the best way to approach college, but, um, man, it was fun. <laughs> I really loved it. <clears throat> but, I, you know, prior to that, I, I've always kind of had this, this hunger in uh, in, just inside me for being in creation and being in the outdoors, and and I attribute that to my folks. And even after they, um, even after they separated, my my dad and even my mom too were just very intentional in saying, "Hey, let's let's find ways to be outside. Let's find ways to be in God's creation." When growing up in Greensboro, we used to go to um, Hanging Rock uh, State Park and and loved it. And and that was that was like the wild, you know, for us as children. And um, and and so we used to go. We'd hike up, you know to Hanging Rock, we'd hike to the waterfalls, we'd, and at that age, the, like, the goal was the destination, right? Like, if we're, if we're hiking up to the top of Hanging Rock to be able to see the view and kind of look out over the Piedmont, that, that was, that was the goal. The goal was the destination. Now, I, I think as I've, I've reflected on this, and, and I have somewhere in my possession this giant rock, like, it's, it's like, 
this big. And at one time, I used it as a doorstop um, when I was in college. But I, that was a rock I picked up, like partway up, hanging, you know, the, the hike to the top of Hanging Rock. And, and my dad was like, if you want that, you have to carry it. And so I lugged that thing up to the top and then lugged it back down. And I think my brother Adam might have done a similar thing. It, I think for my folks, the goal wasn't the destination. The goal was like, can we just survive this with these kids who uh, an eighth of a mile into it are already tired and complaining about how thirsty they are and there's not enough snacks and, you know, we might not make it. And, and I mean, so I, those are, I have some of those memories, but it, it really lit a fire in, in all of us as both of my brothers and I, but in particular my, my younger brother Adam. And it wasn't until he... Um, set out to do the AT in 2000 um, that I didn't, like I had this shift in that the, the destination is not always the goal, right? It doesn't always have to be the goal. Um, and not long into his, his trek, after he started in, in Georgia, um, Adam came to that place and he said, you know what, it's not, like I want, do, I want to finish the trail, obviously. Like I want to see everything that there is to see um, from Georgia to Maine along the AT but I also want to enjoy it. I want to experience it. And so for him, he had this kind of shift in perspective that the, the goal wasn't necessarily the destination. The goal was the journey. And the goal was the experience in the journey. And, and I think one of the things that this psalm does in a way that's different from Psalm 138 is it challenges our understanding of what the goal is for us in life, particularly as God's people. And especially as people created in the image of God meant to be a reflection of who God is on this earth. Because we see in this psalm, David's part of just a window into David's journey. And, and what we are brought face to face with is that David came to this place where he, he realized that the, the destination, what he thought was the destination was not the goal. That for him, the goal became the journey. And, and so I just want to lay that before you and, and invite you to consider that in light of your, your relationship with God. And, and that's true. If you have been walking with the Lord for decades, then I want to lay that before you. If you are here this morning and you're just trying, you're like, I don't know about all this. I'm, I'm just trying to figure this out. Then, then the same question applies to you because one of the gifts that we have in, in a psalm uh, like this, there are places in Scripture. If you look at verse 1, I will exalt you, Lord. And then if you look at verse 12, at the very end of this, uh, then, then the very end of it is, Lord my God, I will praise you forever. And, and so what that's called in, in Scripture and in literature is an inclusion or an inclusio, which means that it, it's, you have this bookend, you have this, this bracket of a similar or the same um, word or sentence uh, phrase at the beginning and at the end of this piece of Scripture. In, in this case, it's in this psalm. Uh, and what that does is that tells us this is what the theme is for the entire psalm. The exaltation or the praise or the worship of God. This is the theme for the entire psalm. And when we have this in Scripture, when you run into this and you see that for this entire pericope or this entire psalm, this entire piece of Scripture, if the theme is the praise and exaltation of the Lord, then we're free to say, all right, I already know what the theme is. That means I get to ask some questions of it. That means I get to deal with this theme. More importantly, I get to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with me in light of what this theme or what this piece of Scripture is, is God is trying to tell me through it. 
the destination is not always the goal. If, if I were to ask the question, what do you, what do you feel like the, the, the goal is or the destination is, if you want to think of it linearly, because that's how we tend to think of things. If you want to think of your journey with the Lord as being something that's linear, then, then what, is, what is the destination? Right? Well, we would say, I, I guess the destination is eternity with God. For, for many of you, depending on, on the, um, uh, the tradition that you grew up in or, or depending on the way that you heard the gospel the first time, sometimes that's the thing that's kind of held out in front of you, right? Like turn or burn, you know, if, if you say yes to Jesus, then you avoid a life of suffering, which that is actually not true. Um, you know, Jesus is really clear with his disciples uh, in, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. is like, hey, this is going to be hard. Um, you're, you're going to suffer as a result of, of knowing me. So that's an unfair promise to be made uh, to someone. If, if you, you know, say yes to Jesus, you're going to avoid a life of suffering. That's, that's not uh, accurate. That's unfair. And, and, and it, it really creates shallow discipleship if it creates discipleship at all. Um, but, but sometimes we're, we're offered this promise of eternity. And, and, and you know, why wouldn't we want that? Like, why wouldn't I want eternity in paradise? Why, would I, why wouldn't I want forever with my creator as opposed to whatever the alternative is? I mean, that, that seems like a compelling invitation, right? Except for the fact that if all we think of it as, is, you know, as something that secures our future, then we're not really sure how it is meant to impact and inform our present and our everyday. Like if we just know that our, our ticket is punched for later uh, and, and then we're just kind of left to live life or, or stumble through life and, and figure this out on our own and, and oftentimes then what begins to happen is we allow the world and the priorities of the world and culture around us to inform the way that we are supposed to live life. But we know I've, I've still got this thing out here. Like I've, I bought the insurance, I'm good to go. And, and yet what we see, particularly in, in Jesus' relationship with his disciples, and then what we see in the ministry that's taken up by these men and women, and people like Paul, and people like John, and Peter, and Priscilla, and Aquila, and these people that were a part of the, you know, what God did through the work of the Holy Spirit, is that this is meant to mean something for every day of your life. It is meant to reshape the way that you live your life. It is meant to reorder your priorities. That is part of the power of the gospel. It's not just the power to forgive. It's the power to transform, right? And so if we think of, of the goal as being something that will happen later, then we miss out on what Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, this promise that he came to give life and give it to the full. It's not just something that's held out for us later, a carrot at the end of the stick to keep us trudging along. It's something that's meant to change the way that we live now. And David experienced this, and we have a window into it, and it gives us hope in our stumbling, and it changes our understanding of what the goal is as someone who's endeavoring to follow Jesus or as someone who's considering what it might mean for you uh, to follow Jesus. So we see in, in verse 1, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. 
And then verse 4, we see that invitation, like this is how David's witness is, you know, it, it informs um, the, the worship of people around him. He says, sing praises of the Lord, you his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And in verse 6, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with people, you know, when they're considering um, the amount of time that they spend in God's Word or they're considering the amount of time they spend in prayer. So often what I hear, and, and I've experienced this in my own life, I'm not just saying, you know, people say this, like this is kind of something that all of us tend to wrestle with. And, and that is when things are going smoothly, we maybe don't think as much about talking to God. We maybe don't think as much about prayer or as much about turning to God's word for direction and guidance and something that would shape our lives. Because things are going well, it's, it's easy to kind of put it on autopilot, you know, set the cruise and, and just enjoy the blessing. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the, the times of, of, of peace and the times where it just seems like, man, every, like the tranquility, it, it just, it, we're firing on all cylinders. Like every, the stars are lined. However you want to think about it, that's what I'm living in and it feels good. And because it feels good, I'm going to enjoy that. And because I'm enjoying that, oftentimes we, we lose sight of maybe the source of that. Or, or we just stop our focus at, at just enjoying that season and, and don't necessarily think much about the one who, who has allowed that season or given that season. But then what happens when, when that begins to crumble? When that season of peace or that season of prosperity or that season where just, I mean, you know, if you're a parent, like you know, that season where you're like, hey, for a week straight, like my kids have made it to the door fully clothed. And then they actually dress themselves. They have shoes on. They might not match, but they're wearing shoes. And, and we finished a meal without stuff being thrown across the room. And, and like, I just feel like I'm living in the season of blessing. But you know that that's, there's a, a shelf life to that. And, and whether that is like, you know, peace as a, a parent with your children or whether it is the security of your job or whether it's health or, I mean, you know, we kind of live in this world where it takes, it takes one phone call or one text, right, for things to begin to unravel. And then that's when we tend to do what? Like that's when we tend to, oh yeah, there's a, there's a God who, I, I've been told that God loves me and and the God wants good for me, and God's faithful, and so I'm, I'm going to go to God in those seasons when, when things begin to fall apart because I know and I've been told that God is faithful even if I'm not necessarily faithful. And so that's when we, we tend to go to God. And what we, what we see here in this psalm, in this passage, is this, this David is kind of, he's being honest, right, about his journey. And, and that's, that's really what we're, we're given a window into is that the, kind of the journey the overarching, you know, shape, direction of, of David's life. He said, when I felt secure, I said, I will never 
be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. I mean, that's, that's a language of like, I am security. I, I am secured. I am immovable. Like this, what you've given me, this kingdom, the, you know, the rule, the reign, the, I mean, for David, it was wives, like all of this, the riches, the wealth, God, you favored me. I am immovable. This is, I am, I am squarely in the place that you want me to be. Look at what I have, and that quickly can become, look at what I have accomplished. Look at what I have done. Look at what my life has become because I have worked so hard for it because I have been obedient to God. And do you hear the way that the language changes? Because I, because I, because I. We forget that, God, because you, and, you know, oftentimes, yes, I mean, you have a role to play in, in your life. Like, you've, you've worked hard to be where you are, and maybe God has blessed that and honored that, but we have to be careful not to allow that focus to shift from, God, because you, to because I, because the moment that we begin to do that, we step into what is really, if we want to be honest, it's just kind of this functional atheism. Like we live life as if God is not a part of the equation because look what I have accomplished. Look what I have done. Look what a great parent I am in the way that I've raised my kids or look at what wonderful you know, children I have because of the way I have parented. I mean, that people ask Piper and I all the time, like, first of all, how do you do it with five? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like we got to a point where it was like, it's just another person at this point. Um, well, what do you, what's your secret? I, we're just really like trying to keep it between the ditches. I mean, that's like, there's no secret. We pray a lot, and we, we have to ask their forgiveness a lot, and we just try hard to love them, and, and that, sorry, that's all, I, that's right what I have. Um, God's been faithful. Um, but there are times when that's really difficult, and in those difficult times, we remember, wait a second, it's not, it's not because of us. We're fallible. It's not because of anything I've done as a father. It's not because of anything that Piper's done as a mother, although I would say usually, I, like, I'm the reason we go off the rails. Piper's amazing as a mother. Right. <clears throat> but if we, if we begin to operate, and whether it's with family, whether it's with career or relationship or whatever, if we begin to operate in this place of, you know what, like, I think I'm good. I, I think I can kind of hit c- cruise. Then, then we start to to operate in this functional atheism as if God is not necessary to our lives or if God is not necessary to whatever we happen to be in in that moment. And, and you might say, well, hold on. Like, I, no, I, I believe in God. I'm not, I'm, not an, like, I'm not an atheist. I mean, maybe your story is you used to be and God grabbed a hold of you in a way that you could not deny, right? Praise God for that if that's your story. But I, but I wonder how many of us hit these seasons where we're just kind of floating and we're on cruise and we, we're living and operating in a way where we're saying to God, now I, I got this. I don't, I don't need your direction or your guidance. And maybe you don't say those words, but maybe it's in the way that we begin to live. We're, we are living in a, a functional, as functional atheists. And the world would love for that to continue to happen. The world, the enemy of this world in particular, would love for another reason to be able to say, you know what, you guys are really not different than anybody else. You actually fight a lot more than other people. You have a lot more rules. 
and, and like as the family, you don't even get along. So why would we want to be a part of that? And I think it's because we take our eyes off of Jesus and we forget that he is the source. He's the reason, he's the goal of the journey. So David is kind of operating in this, this place of, of functional atheism. And we you know, talked a couple weeks ago when, when Ben preached from Psalm 51 about what can happen when we take our eyes off of the Lord. Now all of a sudden I'm making decisions and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ordering my life um, out of what I want and what I think is important, what I should have. And for David, that, that was pretty horrible stuff. It was, it was adultery. It was, um, it was murder. It was, I mean, David stepped way outside of, of God's best for him and was called to the carpet on it. And that's why, where we get Psalm 51, this, just this beautiful picture of repentance and, and the cry for God's mercy and grace. So, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. And that, that language, the hiding of the face, is this sense of, wait, God, I'm, now all of a sudden I've realized I, I don't feel your presence in the way that I once did. God, I, I feel like you're absent from me. And it's not because God has withdrawn his presence from us. It's because we've often turned away and we find ourselves focused on other things. And God will allow us to walk through those seasons where it feels like God is not present. Part of that is God's discipline, and God disciplines those he loves, Scripture tells us, allowing us to, to reach and exhaust um, our options, exhaust what we think is important, exhaust the goals that we have set our, for ourselves, um, allow us to come to a place where we realize, wait, this is not fulfilling, this is not life-giving. And, and, and then, you know, for some of us, it means reaching the end of our rope, and, and, and God can do his best work when we are at the end of our rope. So David but when, I hid, when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Friends, there, there are times when we pray and when we ask God for financial provision or we maybe even ask God for blessing, like financial blessing. God, bless me so that I can be a blessing to others. Or, or maybe we ask for God's provision in a home or for provision in a relationship. And, and that, none of that's wrong. We should, we should always, like Jesus, hey, you, you don't have because you don't ask. Like there's this permission that we're given by Scripture and by Jesus to ask, to pray out of the desires of our hearts and, and trust that God and the Holy Spirit uh, in particular are going to sort those things out, right? A cry for mercy will never go unanswered by God. God may not give you the home that you want. God may not give you uh, the promotion that you want. God may not even allow you to have the relationship that you think you want. But a cry for mercy will never go unanswered by God. Now, God may allow you to make that cry for mercy for what feels like a season in your life because God is willing for us to feel the depth of our need. But the cry for mercy is a cry that God will come to, that we see in the person of Jesus. It's a cry that is answered for God to put on flesh and to walk among us. For the son to be born frail, to be born frail into a broken world and to walk in our mire and our muck and to get 
tangled up and wrapped up in the lives of broken and hurting people. That is, that is the picture for us of that cry for mercy answered by our Heavenly Father. So David says, to you, Lord, I cried. I called to the Lord. I cried for mercy. And then I love this. And this is where we begin to, to see and, and, and are, are brought face to face with wrestling with what, what, is, what is the goal of a life spent endeavoring to follow Jesus. The thing that, that we see this shift happen, the thing that David now, it seems, is worried about is not the kingdom, it's not the palace, it's not the riches, it's not being rooted and firm and secure and saying, God, you blessed me, you've, you've shown your favor to me, like I am immovable in this. Now, all of a sudden, we see David wrestle with this question what is gained, this is verse 9, if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord. Be my help. Now, all of a sudden, David's concern is not his own life, but it is the name of God and his ability to proclaim the greatness of the name of God. Do you see this shift in focus for David? Now, the goal is not the kingdom. The goal for David is, God, if you allow me to go down to the pit. And, and scholars are, are, you know, they're kind of mixed on, on what David is talking about here. Like, was he suffering from an actual sickness, like a physical sickness? Possibly. One in which he thought, this could be the end. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. God, if you allow me to go down to the pit, some translations say Sheol and Sheol is death, it could mean physical death, but it can also mean this kind of despairing of life, which for many of us, we're like, oh, yeah, I, that, I get that. God, if you allow me to go down to the pit, if you allow me to continue to despair of life, and this despair just is the end of me, then, then God, the thing I'm concerned about is not really the end of my life. It's that if, if my life ends, then my voice is silenced. And if my voice is silenced, then I can no longer praise you. I cannot exalt your name. I cannot lift your name on high before those who are around me. David is concerned less now with his own life and more with being able to praise and exalt and lift up and proclaim the name of God who has been good and faithful to him. Well, hold on. Because Jesus, when he's going into Jerusalem on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, and the religious leaders are like, hey, you got to tell your boys to be quiet. They're causing a ruckus. And Jesus says, if I tell them to be quiet, then the stones are going to cry out. Yeah, that's true. Creation does play a role in worship. Creation worships God in its very existence, right? I mean, the sun rises, the sun sets, the way that the mist settles over the mountain, the birds that we hear this time of year, it is a symphony of worship to God. But humanity, us who are created in the image of God, can uniquely worship and testify to God in a way that no other part of creation can. And friends, we have allowed this world to silence our voices for far too long because we are more concerned with our lives, we are more concerned with what is happening to us than asking the question, how can this thing that I'm walking through, how can this season where it feels like God has taken his spirit from me, how can this season of suffering still result in the praise of God? Because I believe that he is good, I believe that he is faithful, I believe that he holds my future, and I believe that he is present with me even now. We've had a really challenging time. Um, 
my wife's family uh, this week because my, my mother-in-law, who is an amazing, faithful woman, um, her mind has begun to betray her. And, um, and, and I know many of you in this body, you, you, have, you have dealt with that. You have dealt with dementia and, and Alzheimer's. And, and this process has been in place for a long time, but the process of getting her the care that she needs, which meant she had to be moved out of her home. And for my, my wife and for my brother-in-law and for my sister-in-law, just an incredibly, incredibly difficult week, an incredibly difficult season. And, and yet to trust that this is, this is a place where she can be cared for in, in a way that she needs it. And my father-in-law, it, it just it began to wear on him. And I talked to him yesterday. He called to just say, hey, thanks for being a part of, you know, moving stuff and, and preparing the space for her. And what I heard in, in this man's voice, this man who I just, he's a, he's a, a brother in Christ and he is, is an example of, of faithfulness and an example of someone who, at any opportunity, wants to just lift the name of Jesus high. So, you know, I'm talking to him and he's thanking me and he, and he just said, I, I wish I could explain to you the way that I've experienced God's mercy and God's goodness this week. And I'm thinking, and you're like your, your mate of decades, like you no longer are under the same roof. And yet in the face of that, is still able to say, God is good and I want to tell you about it. I want to testify to his goodness. Friends, what if for us we began to live in this, this mindset of the goal of our lives not being the destination, like the goal not being when it's all said and done. That's, that's coming. That's going to happen. What if the goal wasn't what we could do to secure comfort and secure, you know, like a, a place that's secure in our lives because we were able to trust God in that. What if the goal for us became this lifting of the Lord's name, this exalting the name of God, proclaiming God's goodness, whether we feel like we are in the pit or whether we, like David said, are on the mountain. It's all because of God's goodness, all because of God's grace. Brennan Manning has this saying, all is grace whether we're in a place of suffering or whether we're in a place of blessing. <laughs> My father-in-law just walked in the door. <laughs> whether we're in a place of suffering or whether we're in a place of blessing, to be able to say all the same, God, you're good. You're good and I trust you. Whether you're disciplining me or whether you're blessing me, God, you're good. You're so good, I want to tell people that. I want people to know how good you are. I want them to see it in the way that I live my life. My concern becomes, God, if I'm silenced, then that's one less voice for the symphony and for the chorus of your praise. Friends, the thing that makes that possible for us is Jesus the one who did face Sheol, 
the one who did face death on our behalf. The one who cried, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who knew what it felt like for the face of the Father to be withdrawn from him. The one who experienced the pain of suffering and death and the one who allowed himself to breathe his final breath, to say it is finished, to allow life to be removed from him. Who laid down his life so that we might be able to say, our suffering, even our death, does not have the final word. The one who, in his grace and forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness not only secures our future, but also gives us purpose and a goal in the present. And that is to live lives that are poured out for him, lifting his name high because we are promised in Scripture that when the name of Jesus is lifted high, he draws people to himself. I want to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis before we transition into our time at the table. This is in Lewis's book, Reflections on the Psalms. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Friends, we, like the rest of creation, were created to praise God and to glorify God. But too many of us stop short because we see God's favor and God's blessing wrapped up in the material. And we tend to see that as the goal of our lives, a life that is secure, a life that is free from suffering. And yet, the great joy for us and the enjoyment is found in walking with a life whose journey or whose goal is not the destination, but the journey whose goal is a life in which we are able to enjoy God because we are living lives in which we seek to praise him at every turn. Made possible by Jesus, who even in the face of death, longed for nothing more than for the Father to be exalted and made a way for us to step into that chorus with him.